Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. Happy fall equinox, Maybon, and full moon in Pisces. It's definitely a power week for energy work, so I highly recommend you carve out some time to tune in, even if it's just for a few minutes. I love equinoxes, and I find them extremely helpful for magical workings, especially if I'm trying to hone a particular psychic skill. I'm seriously switching gears again this week, My guest is a 14-year-old empath. Her name is Ula Hayes Hooper. That's right. This is my first teenage guest. But you honestly would never know that because she's more articulate and insightful than most adults I know. Psychic medium, tarot reader, and past life specialist Corby Mitlide from episode 26 told me about a particularly gifted teenage student of hers. So I did what I do best, and I followed that woo. Ula lives near her family's farm in New York. She's lived smack dab in the middle of nature her whole 14 years, which I have a hunch may be the reason why she's so damn intuitive. That, and she's homeschooled, and one of her classes is literally psychic development with Corby. They definitely did not offer that class in my high school, but you better believe if they did, I would have signed up in a millisecond. Ula and I talk about what it's been like growing up on a farm, being an empath, class with Corby, what it's like learning tarot, and loads more. You'll note that I swear in this episode and that there's still an E for explicit language, but that's because Ula approved the swearing and said that her family would be totally fine with it. So just so you know, I'm not corrupting the youth. This conversation is a little bit less esoteric and spooky, especially right now we're in the middle of spooky season. I know that's what everybody wants, but it's still super inspiring. And I think it's important for us to hear from the youth and the way they look at the woo. I promise to give you some really spooky stuff in the next couple weeks. Also, we're going to be talking about the Fae coming up soon here, which I'm really excited about because we haven't been able to focus on that as much as I'd like. So there's lots of other woo stuff coming in hot. Quick reminder, if you love Follow the Woo and you want to help support this podcast and get more content, the best way is to become a patron. You go to patreon.com slash follow the woo. When you sign up, you'll get an official order of the woo invitation sent to your home and access to a bunch of other witchy goodies. All right, let's get into it. It's woo time. Let's start with your background, because I wanted you on the show because Corby from (laughs) episode 26, the Psychic Yellow Brick Road, She said you were the bomb, basically. And I was like, you know, I would be curious to talk to a 14-year-old who understands tarot cards and divination and is actively being mentored by a psychic. That's awesome. So that's why I wanted to do a full episode with you. Tell me about the farm. What's it like to be Ula? So my sister and I get up every day and we go down to the farm and... I've always wanted a horse, so I finally convinced, or some sort of equine, so I finally convinced my grandparents to get a donkey, so I go down there every day and I take care of him. I was born in this house. I was the first person born in our town in many, many years, like, I think maybe 80 years or more. What, is everybody like 100 years old in your town? No, it's just everyone else has moved here, basically. Or they've, like, I was physically born here. Everyone else was, like, born in a neighboring town with a hospital. I was a home birth. Growing up on the farm, you know, every phase we had with princess dresses or all this, we have old photos of us. We have farm vehicles so that we can get around to all the animals fast enough. 
we have photos of us in like Cinderella dresses or Tiana dresses <laughs> just riding out to go herd chickens in for the night. <laughs> Everything on the farm has just been so prominent in my upbringing as a person. For example, I'm not very sensitive to gore or needles. I've never had a fear of needles because of the sheep vaccinations. I don't have any fear of animals and just all these little rules on the farm, like don't touch baby piglets or don't pet a ram on its forehead, all these little things. I can barely remember when I even learned them. It's just always been a knowledge that's been in my head. I've always been very, very grateful that I was raised in this way because all my friends, they go to school, they'll come to the farm and they'll act like a, a normal person. <laughs> you know, I was walking with a friend. She says, like, man, what does that smell? I was like, I, I smell nothing. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? And I had another friend who was there visiting my donkey. And she wouldn't get behind the donkey because, of course, most horses kick. And there's, like, very few donkeys who will let you walk behind them without kicking. I got him when he was four months old. So I was always training him. I would run my hand along his back as I walked behind him. I've always thought when I have children, if I have them someday, I'm concerned how I'm going to raise them as homeschoolers and on the farm so that they can really appreciate just how simple and enjoyable a life can be. I have a thousand questions just based off of what you just said. <laughs> okay, so paint me a picture here. You got pigs, we know that. You got a donkey. Mm-hmm. We have a group of laying hens, and we have a couple different kinds. And then during the summer, we carry our meat birds, our pullets, and we raise several batches over the summer. And then around the beginning of August, we get one group of turkeys so that they're ready in time for Thanksgiving. So there's no gardens or anything. You don't do any shares like that. You just do the meat and the eggs. Yeah, meat and eggs. We have uh, local farms all around that grow delicious fruits and vegetables. And you mentioned this is your grandparents' farm. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. When was it first established? So it's going on uh, 40 years now. Wow. My grandfather was a professor at our local college for agriculture. And so he knew what he was doing and he had been raising sheep. He had his first flock of sheep when he was three years old. Wow. Um, I know. And I thought that was an exaggeration. I've asked many times and I can assure you, no exaggeration. No. He's just been doing it his whole life. He has this very deep love of animals and he loves taking care of them. Siblings. You have siblings? I have one older sister and her boyfriend who has moved in with us. He's like an older brother to me. We fight all the time, just like siblings. And we gang up on Sersha, who's my sister, all the time. So. Yes, I, I have older siblings. I'm the youngest. And was Sersha also homeschooled? Yep. Wow. We were both homeschooled our entire lives. And I've done activities in school and special reading programs. And I recognize a lot of kids, it's a system that works for them. And it's probably wouldn't be good if they weren't in school. But for Sersha and I, we would just be missing out on so much of what's important in our life, like the farming, and we wouldn't have the time to follow our own interests. Like she and I are both taking college level courses in fashion design. I play violin, which I suppose I could pursue in a school, but it's nice to do it on my own. And also the farm work, we wouldn't be able to partake in nearly as much as we can now. Yeah, I mean... One of the coolest things that I've heard from people who do homeschooling or unschooling is they essentially, like you said, they get the opportunity to follow their curiosity more. And there's something about like the general American public school system that doesn't encourage that. It's just sort of like, here, do these things. They're all standardized. Like everybody's doing the same thing. If you have a more artistic brain, if you like to learn with your hands, you know, end, end, end. Well, we really don't have any answers for you. You still have to do it the way everybody else does. And it sounds like from what you're saying, you, and I think you even said it at the beginning of this episode, something like I wouldn't be able to have an enjoyable life if I wasn't homeschooled. 
Can you tell me about that? Do you feel generally happy and well-adjusted in your life? Do you think that that's mostly because of your homeschooling experience? Well, the thing is, I'm not living some fantasy life or anything like that. I know some people hear about farming. They're like, oh, you live in the hills with no worries. And <laughs> it's it's not that. But the way that we are raised, our problems are what give us joy. Because I was um, raised to believe that no matter how much I'm worrying about something, I have been taught to cope with it and just be there for the process of working it out. The other thing was, if I was in school, I have cerebral visual impairment. I have one lazy eye. And there's some other neurological thing that it borders almost on ADHD, I think. It's not as severe as that, but I would not do well with the conventional learning methods. If I'm learning something, I have to take it in short bursts. So I only do like two hours of math a day with my mom anymore and I just start my mood acts up I just get frustrated and upset and the other thing is I have migraines not a lot and they're usually caused by something that I've eaten but migraines are an issue we work with our school you know making sure that I'm learning all the subjects that I need to but if I went to a public school or any kind of school at all I would be grouped in with kids who have a more severe disability than I would so I would like be progressing faster than them, but not necessarily getting the help that I needed. Mm -hmm. And so homeschooling is really the only, well, not the only option, but it's the best option for me. Mm -hmm. And this is where it gets real juicy, right? Because the homeschooling is where I get to talk to you about your classes. So mm -hmm. I know that you're taking college courses for fashion design I know that you do two hours of math with your mom every day, and then you do psychic classes. Yep. I, I love that. What are all the classes that you have I, besides that? I do a typing program. I take French lessons. And then I also take a bunch of online classes. I've taken lots of classes on writing and essay writing, creative writing. And this year I have two classes in psychology which mom thought would be interesting because of what I'm doing with the psychic work. So sort of pairing the more uh, spiritual side of the mind with intuition and all that with the more scientific side. So was it your idea to start the psychic classes? Where did that thought come from? For many, many years, I would have panic attacks in public places. Shopping malls were a nightmare. Parties were terrifying all that. And I would just be panicking when there was nothing wrong with the group of people I was with. We started to talk to Corby. Corby was a regular at our business before we had the cafe. She would buy our meat from us and she would come in and talk about her psychic work. And I always found it so fascinating. And slowly we began to figure out that the reason that I would start panicking in places with lots of people mostly would be because of deep empathicness where I was taking in other people's emotions. And it wasn't like one person would be sitting next to me and be panicking about their father who was in the hospital. It would it was like little bits of input from everywhere started confusing me. And so we figured out that working with Corby would be a very large part of helping me to manage all this psychic energy around me. Psychic input, I think. Do you identify as an empath? Yeah, I think so. I'm not clear on the rules of how you identify, but I would say yes. And when did this start for you? I remember when mom started to say, you're, you're focusing on what everyone else is feeling. I, I want to say maybe around 10, maybe a little bit older, but... There were predictable patterns, so if we were going to go away on vacation the night before, I wouldn't feel well, and I'd tell mom, and she'd just be like, it's what you do, you're going to be fine, because it was such a predictable pattern. I'm assuming it was a common pattern for years, I just wasn't picking up on it, being that my brain was so as scattered as it was and occasionally is. 
I identify as an empath as well to a certain extent. And mine kicked in around that age as well, around like 10. It was a little bit earlier, but it didn't start getting to where it was really affecting my day until I would say like 12. That's when it was like, whoa. Luckily, I had a mom who was very open-minded and she had the vocabulary for this. And she told me when I was about maybe a little bit older than you that I was an empath. She was like, okay, I think you're an empath. It was very, very hard for me. I'm hearing so much of myself. But the difference was I didn't have, well, there's loads of differences, right? You're a totally different human being. But one of the biggest ones was that I didn't have the same stability and structure that you had. I also didn't have Corby, who was there to sort of help with the protection. And we'll get into that. So what I did is I drank and I did drugs because that was the only way that I could shut out all of the energy. What I just needed it to stop. I was like, I can't handle this. And so I was your age. No, I'm not condoning this. It was not a smart move. Your brain is still developing. But I was I was like drinking and doing drugs at your age because the input, like you said, was just so intense. Have you ever felt like it's so intense you just didn't even know what to do? I never outright felt that this is going to be a problem. It's always been a very subtle thing for me. It sounds like when you're my age, you had it much stronger than I did. I wouldn't consciously seek out a distraction. But one problem that I did have was screens. I would watch like YouTube videos and just all this different stuff. And I would just get addicted to that calm. Mm -hmm. And and not necessarily calm. It was a distraction. And it's something that's been that's reoccurred multiple times of just getting pulled more into that. I have a couple close friends that I'm very loyal to and I'm very close with, but I can't always hang out with them, especially during COVID. And so what would happen was I'd start developing like a need to be with these people who I was seeing on the other side of a screen as friends. Mm-hmm. And so I think, man, I'm feeling really upset. Who do I want to see? And it'd be like, well, why not go to this person? Like that person's not real. That person's in a comic Mm -hmm. Um, or that person's in a movie. Just it's always been subtle. I didn't know why I would turn to these things, but I would. And it weren't really good for me. And they were easier. Being outside and with animals is something that has always just very frequently calmed me down because violin is fun, but it's challenging. Animals have never been challenging for me. In a way they have been, like how do I get the donkey to stop biting me? Or how am I going to help this lamb? But it's just such a deep knowledge. It's just so simple. It's these problems, but they're simple and I know how to solve them or I know when they can't be solved and what to do in place of that. If I got home and I was tired, I wouldn't want to go and sit and stare at my dog or play with my dog. I'd want to go up to my room and be alone. That's sort of your brand of addiction. Because addiction is very common for empaths. We're trying to find something that we think is calming to just sort of turn all that energy back inward instead of it being so focused on everything else. So for me, it was drugs and alcohol. But I mean, let's be real here. Screens are incredibly addictive. Like I get addicted to mine as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I totally understand that. And you even called yourself out. You were like, I think that it's calm, but it's not necessarily. It's just like the best I can do in that moment. And I'm, I'm a little addicted to it. I mean, sometimes it's okay. Like if I've been working at the cafe all day and I come home and I'm tired, that's like a time when I can excuse myself and I'll just go up and rest in my room And it's okay to go into those world, into that world sometimes, but when you're using it as like a nicotine patch or cigarettes or anything like that, that's when it really starts to become a problem. Yeah. I think you already said. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. That's a great way to put it. The nicotine patch, it sort of is like giving you a hit of something. It's obviously it's dopamine. Every time we get a ping, every time we, you know, log in, you said YouTube, right? You love. Yeah. YouTube's fun. YouTube is like a rabbit hole, right? Like once you get in it, you're just like, I can never get out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Video games are also an issue when they're like simple, but visually interactive. That's when Mm -hmm. they're a problem. During like difficult times in the news, I hope you don't mind me bringing this up, the January 6th, 
I was actually in a class with Corby and she told me that they had stormed the Capitol and we ended the class because I started crying and just going down to the farm and working with my donkey. It was just, and I would always wonder like, I'm crying. Why can't we have this movie moment of you suddenly being nice to me? Over time, I realized the problems of him biting or him chasing me and all this stuff that was his method of therapy. Mm-hmm. I would just forget about all these other problems that were too complicated that I couldn't do anything about. And it would be so simple of reading his movements, him reading my movements. It's really interesting that you brought up that horrible clusterfuck of a day on <laughs> January 6th. And it's a really hard time to be just incarnated in a human body right now. <laughs> yes. Okay. For people like us who are very sensitive it is so much stimulation, right? It's just insane. And so you have to actively work to center yourself, ground yourself. We're going to get into that, all the stuff with Corby in a minute, but something you said stuck out to me too. And that was that sometimes it's hard to be with friends. I personally want to hear about this because as an empath talking to another empath, I want to know exactly what you mean by that. For years, I had one friend who was my age. All my other friends, I have maybe four friends who are my age. And then like, I have a couple of like half friends, okay. <laughs> you know, acquaintances that I've hung out with. Everyone else that I've been close to and considered a friend, considered someone who I'd want to spend time with has been an adult. And That's not just, surprising. Yeah. <laughs> well, you talk like an adult. They're so nice. They're so, <laughs> they're so they nice. Stand. <laughs> That's great. They're not just outright aggressive. Some children can be like, quite a bit. I have had issues just with friends wondering if I've done something wrong when maybe they were being manipulative or all that kind of stuff. When more people were getting vaccinated and they were thinking COVID would let up a little bit, mom and I were talking and she said, are you nervous? Are you going to be okay? Just to go back out and be with people again. And typically people think girls my age worry about is interactions with boys and, you know, worried about the emotional and physical safety. And that hasn't been an issue because everyone who's an alpha in my family is a female. Like my mom, she runs the business and it's just a, a whole long line of alpha women. Hell yeah. And I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying the men are little servants. It's just, <laughs> I've never had any issues with boys. I've always known that my intellect can be a match for anything that they throw at me. And I know how to separate myself in a healthy way and look at them and just go, you're an idiot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's what she was kind of talking about was interactions like that. But what I said to her was I was more concerned about my interactions with other women, other girls, because we're mean <laughs> when we want to be, especially kids my age. Things can just get so complicated. Just interacting with other girls my age was incredibly stressful. I've had incidents of being pushed. I hate conflict. I really do. I mean, when I'm fighting with my family, that's a different matter. But with someone... <laughs> it's safer. Was, it's safer, yeah, yeah. because I know they're always going to love me. But when it's someone else, I do not like conflict at all. I will avoid it. And I always hang out with girls. Well, girls can be bitches. Let's just say it. I mean, (laughs) they they really can. can. Everyone can. It's true. But when you're a teenager, preteen, especially, I think it depends on different areas. But mean girls, their brains are more complex. So it's like when a boy at that age says something, like you said, you just intellectually match them. You're like, you're so dumb. It it would take like one millisecond for me to think of a comeback and it would make you look really stupid in front of all of your friends. So I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to walk away. But when a girl says something, it's so layered, right? It's like there's all this complexity because women's brains are so different. And so they can say something that just cuts right through to you. And for a hot second, you're like, dang, that hurt. Like, exactly. or like you said, you don't even know, you're confused about what they even said. Exactly. Wait a second. Like, do, how do I even handle this? How do I approach this? I, I am pansexual, but it's not a huge part of my personality. That term didn't even exist when I was a kid. That's just so great to hear the younger generations be so comfortable and just like, this is who I am, but it's not a huge per- part of my personality. I love that. 
it just really wasn't like that. I was in high school in the early 2000s. And everybody who was queer was in the closet. Everybody. And so (laughs) I think as an empath, that was really hard for me. It was hard for me to have crushes on girls or not even know what it was. I I don't think I was there yet. But when I was around your age, I was like, okay, women are so beautiful. That was very complicated for me as a kid. Yeah, I think sometimes there are cases of people who look for a fight. And I don't think coming out or being gay or trans or non-binary, I wouldn't say that there's as many issues with it in the original sense where it wasn't accepted. But I think people are scared and a tiny bit addicted to the drama of what being a part of the LGBTQ community means. That is so interesting. Wow, that is different. And that's kind of why I wanted to ask. I wanted to know how it's... Because you're in a smaller town, right? Like, So this is a, a nice little slice into what it's like in smaller town America for that community. But let's go back to the woo. What's your sign? What's your astrological sign? I'm a Pisces. Oh, okay. Yes. You're so watery. <laughs> I love Pisces. Uh, it fits that I'm a water sign. Cause I, I was actually born underwater. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get mom out of the birthing pool. So I was born underwater and um, not entirely alive, actually, the first time. Oh, so here. Did you go yeah. to the NICU? No, at the point where we were having the difficulties, it, they couldn't move mom. So they had to push me back in and birth me again. So I was technically born twice. <laughs> well, they put you back in her body? Kind of. Yeah. Like she had to deliver me in a certain way. And uh, being me, I came out just like all, all in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> you were like posing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that you are here and that that worked out okay. So mm-hmm. you met Corby, you said, because she was already purchasing meat from you mm-hmm. and she comes into the cafe as well. Um, when did you meet her? I think I've known her for most of my life. I always kind of remember seeing her around. Corby is a great chef. She's a very good cook. So that's I'm pretty sure that's why she was coming to us because she always has all these different, very interesting recipes that she's trying. So I think that's why she was buying our products. And then she started coming into the cafe and I would talk to her. The first deck she ever gave me was dog wisdom. It was an oracle deck of dog cards. She would talk to me about all her empathic work and psychic work, and I found it so interesting. And she would talk to mom about it too. That's how they figured out that that's what was going on with me. It started where she would give me decks, and I would go home and I'd work with them, and I'd contact her with questions. And then we started meeting online for classes. We went through a couple of different techniques of learning, and then we settled on the one that really worked, and we've just gone on from there. And we stopped for the summer, because summer is very busy for people on a farm, but it's part of my education. I think we register it with the school as psychology, I think. Smart. Or something like that. So being an empath and then working with Corby, how did she teach you to, or did she? teach you to protect yourself or shield or ground? Or how did she help you regulate the emotional input that you were experiencing? Well, I'd ask her questions. If she would tell me how to do something and I'd go and do it, and I'd be like, how do I make sure this doesn't happen? Because I have always been aware of the da- the dangerous side of it. That's in air quotes. But she would explain, always keep yourself separate, learn how to properly disconnect And she would give me books to read. And I'm not great with book learning, but there'd be little exercises in there for staying grounded and protected. And eventually I would go on to work out my own methods. I have an aunt who lives in a house with like five ghosts. It is just full of them. And she was actually the first person to ever give me any advice on protecting myself against them. And it is something that I use whenever I feel psychically unsafe. She always said, envision a white egg-shaped globe around you, and then they can't get through that. And whenever I would get scared at night of the shadows in the corner of my room, I would surround myself with that. Having a very flexible imagination is a big part of it because 
it's almost like when you're a kid and you're playing with toys and you imagine them doing all this different stuff. It's like that. I don't think there was anything ever in my room. It was just a matter of reassuring myself. And if I was thinking, oh, well, what if it goes over to mom or Sersha? I'd go over, I'd surround them with the light and the whole house with the light and all that stuff. And just being able to envision exactly what you want is a huge part of it in mm-hmm. any protection. That's a super good point. I have a crystal here. For the listeners, I'm holding this chunk of fluorite. Let's say I wanted to charge this with my energy, you know, just infuse it with my energy. A lot of people will be like, but wait, how do you do that? I can't just think and focus my energy on it because how am I able to do that? The missing component is that you don't believe that you're able to do that, that you actually have the ability. And in your case, it's creating the egg of white around you. That that is a power that you have and a muscle that you have. And the more that you do it and the more you believe in it, the more protective it becomes. It's stronger. It can help other people. Like you said, you cover other people with white eggs, you know, so that's such a gift that you're able to to know that the power is just practicing the thing. Yeah. And that's the thing is people get older, they lose their ability to play pretend in their head. And they don't realize that those little games of pretend, you're creating something in your mind and you don't necessarily have to like empty your mind and focus the energy work that I will work on or the protection, all this stuff. I'm playing a game of make-believe in my head and that's how I do it. But it took me a while to kind of get confident in doing that, that it, no, it wasn't childish It wasn't me being silly. It was getting results. If your mind is believing it, like if I was scared and so I did the white light around me, if I believed it was there, then nothing could really hurt me. I would never be worried about anything mentally attacking me. And the fear of that, I I personally believe the fear of that is what opens you to an attack. So even if you're formulating this imaginary, air quotes, imaginary energy around you, then you're believing that you're safe. And so nothing can really get you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's your, you're cultivating the psychic protection. And you're right. Adults have a really hard time with that because they forget that the magic's always been there. And you said it so well earlier that having like a flexible imagination, you know, being able to go to those different areas is really helpful. I also love how you said that you get the results. So it's like the proof is in the pudding when people are like, oh, well, that shit doesn't work. You know, it's like, well, wait a second. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but you're like, oh, I'm having these panic attacks. I'm having these reactions to being in crowds. You started working with Corby. You started cultivating these skills, doing energy work, learning how to protect yourself. And you said you received results. When people say this shit doesn't work, it's like, well, who are you to say that? It worked for me. And it's worked for millions of other energy workers, psychic practitioners, the list goes on, right? That's important for people to hear that the magic is something that's already there. You were probably, not you, I mean the royal you, you were probably more magic when you were a kid, almost definitely, than you are now as an adult. That's something to really remember. It's not so much about finding yourself, it's about remembering yourself, remembering that you have that power. Do you feel like for you, power was a huge component to this process? Sometimes it would help me gain confidence in imagining the energy that I was using in like a way that I'd seen in a movie. And I know that sounds very silly, but I don't know if you've seen the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I used yeah. to work for a company that made the costumes for the Are movies. You? Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. That's so yeah. cool. Do you remember Wanda Maximoff or Red oh, Witch? Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I know. She's awesome. <laughs> badass bitch. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I would work on envisioning the way that I'd use my energy almost like her. And sometimes it helps to make it fun if you imagine you have your own color of energy, like hers was red, and someone might have green or blue. I personally am partial to like light silvery purple. And there's these little things to make it fun. That's just as important. Fun and relaxation are really important parts of the of that practice because you got to get in the cool space to be able to imagine that shit. And if you're in a state of fear, like you said earlier, that's actually opening you up to 
not just negative thinking in your own mind, but then psychic attacks from whatever, all kinds mm-hmm. of weird shit. You talked about protecting yourself with the the egg, right? The the white egg, which is awesome. Are there other techniques that you really like using for protecting yourself or for grounding yourself as well? One thing that I came up with for separating other people's energy from my own is I'll sort of go into this place in my mind. And if I feel like I'm getting panicky, it's like I'm halfway standing in this cloud around them and I have to just focus, step back, and then it's like, boom, I'm I'm me again. I'm not worrying about them from their point of view. Like, I'm still worried about them if they're upset, but I am in my mental space where I can help them rather than fire them up and start getting them all panicky because I'm worried too. And sometimes if I am wondering, okay, I want to understand this person, what they're going through a little bit. And I want to be able to communicate with them on the level of what they're feeling. I'll kind of like poke my head back in, listen for a moment, just like put put my toes in ever Mm -hmm. so slightly. I'm like, okay, here's what's going on. And I do that knowingly so I don't start confusing their emotions with my own. That's such an advanced technique. (laughs) I was so not even able to do that at your age. You know, a lot of empathic adults don't know how to do that. And it took me far longer than you to figure out how to do that. Uh, first of all, you have this mentor, which is great. But also, you were able to believe in yourself and tap into that imagination element so that you could say, okay, I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm going to dip my toes in. I, I got to feel this out. That whole process, everybody can do. It's not rocket science, but it's just, are we allowing ourselves to go to that place that's internal, right? Do you see that with your friends who are not empathic, that they struggle with tuning into their internal rhythms? Yeah, definitely. I've read for my friends before, and I have friends with anger issues. A lot of kids my age I've seen, they can't sort out what exactly they're feeling. So they might feel sad, but instead get angry, or they might feel depressed and not realize it's because of like one specific reason because sometimes they cope with one emotion with another that's easier to handle like anger is easier than sadness so yeah it's definitely something that i've seen quite a bit let's talk about the cards so you start doing energy work you start doing protection with corby you're taking classes with her that's amazing then you get the dog deck, right? The little yeah. dog oracle deck. And yeah. that's your that's your beginner deck. What draws you to tarot? I don't know if I felt the specific pull towards tarot. I know I enjoy working with them. I do get nervous sometimes because I don't like to be wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> I always get a little bit nervous before I go in. What if I give this person the wrong advice and then they call me on it later? And I really have to remember it's not important. We're only like 80, 85% accurate when done right. And the other thing that's challenging is when you have to learn to say, I don't know anything in this area. This isn't my expertise. This is something that Corby is good with, where she can say, I haven't practiced much in this area. I can refer you to this person who works in this on a daily basis. It is their job. I started doing the cards because it was a lot of fun to kind of like build the relationship. It's very fun to kind of discern the different personalities of the deck. When I had my first tarot deck, it was a standard deck. It's like I get an emotion. It's a person, you know, they had that deck had a very mentor kind of spirit of like, don't panic. Here's this, here's this, here's this. Let's work together. I felt very safe with that deck. And then there's been other decks where Corby will give them to me and I'll feel like, you don't like me at all, do you? And it's like, no, you're not my favorite. (laughs) And we don't get along. And then my mom might pick up this deck and work and say, oh my gosh, this deck's great. It works for me every time. I'm like, keep it. (laughs) It doesn't (laughs) like me. And other decks, like I have uh, Dragon Wisdom. And I have always loved dragons, and so that one I have a very 
special bond with. There's this one card in the deck that's kind of my dragon. So whenever I take that out and I work with it, I can feel it like kind of, or I imagine it coming up from the deck and kind of curling on my shoulder and hanging out with me while I work with the deck. They all have these very different personalities and it's all very funny. And sometimes it's kind of based off the art or what the deck is based on. But the more you work with them, the more you get comfortable with that personality. The other thing that Corby taught me was if you're confused with which deck to use, you have your querent, ask the question, and then sometimes the deck will be like, I have the answer. Like, <laughs> it puts its hand up. Yeah, it puts its hand up. And that's the one you use. Other times you say, you ask the querent, you know, these are my decks, which one do you want to use? And they'll kind of get a pull and they'll grab one. So that's just proof anybody can do it. Everyone has the psychic bone. But it also helps, again, with the imagination, it helps to learn their personalities because then it feels like you're working with different friends on different things and it uh, makes it all easier. Mm -hmm. Really, it makes quite a bit of sense if you're familiar with like the whole world of it where some decks are better for work-related things or romance or relationship-related things or health. I know I have a couple decks that work well with health and others are just kind of general use and they'll kind of put their hand up whenever they feel like they can help. To hear it, you think, wow, that must be something rare that almost never happens. And it's a fairly regular thing. It's when you work with something multiple times. It's the same as what we were talking about before. Like if you imagine that egg five times versus imagining that egg 3000 times. I always say like if you play with the universe, it plays back. That's how I see it. So if you play with all those decks all the time and you see them as personified almost as if they have personalities, which I think they totally do. And the more attention you give them, the more kooky and unique they each act. It's only going to play back with you more. It's going to kind of poke you back. It's not necessarily just you doing a reading. It's like a dance between you and the cards. And you're calling it the querent, right? Is that what you call them? The, the person yeah. who's getting the reading? Yeah. So it's, it's like a little cha-cha that you're all doing together or something. Exactly. That's a very good way of putting it. I haven't thought of it that way before. Yeah. Dance is big for, for my magic. I always think of us dancing together. And I think about that for being an empath too. You know, do I want to dance with this person's energy or not? <laughs> most of the time, it's probably no. <laughs> you're, are you trying to memorize the tarot deck or how's that process going? Because that's 78 cards. That's a lot. I did go through a phase where we would like look up, write down the meanings, pull the different cards. But as I said before, I'm not good in that type of learning. So what we do, a look inside a session with Corby is mom will sometimes type up a question or one of our friends might email mom with a question or a problem that they have. She'll type it up and we'll pull cards. We'll each pull a spread. We'll flip them and we'll compare notes. And we kind of gave up on memorizing them. But sometimes when, when you work with it in that way, for me anyway, I'll get a bit of a clearer image and of, oh, I remember in that last reading that I did, it meant this, and I can kind of see how that relates to the situation. But like nine times out of ten, we have a book with all the tarot meanings. We'll flip through that, and what will typically happen is either mom or I will read it out loud. I'll hear something kind of like, I think I can kind of work that into what's happening here. That's typically how it works. So us. you're in, you're relying on your intuitive interpretation, which is that's where the psychic part comes in. That's where it's like, you go to somebody else to guide you as opposed to just doing it yourself. You are taking that question that they have and you're sort of sitting with it. And as soon as you hear the thing, you're like, oh, that's it right there. Were you always able to pick up on things psychically with your family and stuff? It was something I had to grow into. I wouldn't be surprised if when I was younger, there were little instances. But working with Corby definitely helped refine the details and just helped it work more smoothly, helped me use it more smoothly. I don't know if use is the right word. What's the most accurate, trippy reading that you've ever done? One that comes to mind was we were doing a reading for a business owner, and this was me on my own. He wanted to know if he could trust these people in a partnership, 
and I pull different cards. So if someone has two or three options, the way that I'll typically pull a spread, which is a selection of cards, is it'll be if you go with this option, the other option, or just leave them both. Mm. So I might pull a card for each, or I might pull three cards for each category. Three is a very prominent number for me whenever I work with the cards. And the one that I got for working with the people was basically the backstabber card. Mm -hmm. And it was, I pulled it, I saw it, and it can mean many different things. And I looked at it, I said, I wouldn't trust them. And I, you know, explained like the rest of the cards, the rest of the options. I said, that's really funny because when you said that, they just texted me about finaling the details in a way that I wasn't comfortable with. Hmm. I'm not quite sure how it ended. I don't think he partnered with them. But that was kind of just a little bit trippy that I said, don't trust him, right? They sent something that didn't seem trustworthy to him. Has Corby done a reading for you that blew your mind or anybody else in your world? Yes, she has. I'm trying to remember because there's been so many times. Right. Yeah. That's the perk of having a psychic teacher. Exactly. Exactly. I really appreciate having her because sometimes it's not necessarily a rule, but it's more difficult to pull for yourself because of your own energy and just your relationship with your own decks influences your decision quite a bit. Like I considered joining a sports team a while back and it would be pretty hard for us to, you know, bend in the directions to get me there and all that. And so I called her and I talked to her about it. It's kind of nice when you don't want to have to puzzle it over in your head and have all these what ifs to have someone you can call, not necessarily to tell you what to do, but to broaden your perspective. And gosh, readings. At this time, I can't remember anything specific, but I do know she's pulled many, many times, pulled meaning pulled out cards for us, that nine times out of 10, she's been right in one way or another. She's pretty magical lady for sure. You said in the preliminary call that she's teaching you how to channel as well. Yes. How's that going? It's good. It's more difficult than the other work, primarily because it's riskier. When my mom was a kid, before she was ready, she put herself in an unsafe spiritual situation and she had a ghost attached to her for, I don't know, how 15 years, I think. Actually. Your mom had a ghost attached to her for 15 years? Yep. And what she, in yeah, the world, she... Ula? How are we only talking about this at this point in the conversation? <laughs> I'm sorry. I meant to bring it up. It slipped my mind. <laughs> Growing up, she channeled the spirit through a Ouija board, which is very unsafe. If there are any kids listening or young adults, those are incredibly dangerous and unpredictable. We'd see them in toy stores and we'd immediately know that's not a game that's dangerous. You hear stories about them all the time. And so we've always known, don't deeply engage with the spirit. You need to be careful that you don't really give them a part of you or you don't leave yourself open. Mm -hmm. It's like there can't be any chinks in your armor. So while most people can do the different energy work, channeling is something that you have to get in very slowly because if you do it wrong and you don't take the time to learn how to keep yourself safe and sever connections and not let anything in, you can end up in a very dangerous situation. I don't know, very dangerous, but definitely threatening. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that too, because I think there's a lot of people who still think that Ouija boards are just for fun. And, you know, if you really know what you're doing and you're super protected and you're respectful, yeah, they could be interesting and fun, but If you're not, which is what most people are when they go and they buy that Mm -hmm. and their little kids are saying, oh, I want the demon to come. That's scary shit. And I just talked to somebody who works with inhuman entities and he said every quote unquote demon is invited. It doesn't just come. So it's been invited by somebody somewhere, something at some time. Exactly. So that's great advice. Speaking of advice, since we're on it empaths, people who want to read the tarot too. Any advice there for young people? What I would say is the books are going to tell you all different things. And some of the stuff that they say is going to resonate with you deeply. And other things that they say aren't going to be 
specifically for you. And the thing is, when you're working with energy, it is incredibly personal to you. And don't be afraid to come up with your own methods. Like I said, I Wanda Maximoff. Wanda mm-hmm. Maximoff helped me focus energy. There is no wrong way to do it. If you come up with a method and it feels right for you, then it's right for you. For the tarot readings, honestly, what I'd say is don't be afraid to establish a relationship. Don't be afraid to just sit and kind of feel. Most of the time in my experience, our minds are like, we we consciously just keep them in one solid form. And it's almost when you want to kind of spread out, and this is what I'll do with a meditation too. I don't meditate all that much because I can't stand to sit still. <laughs> but if you ever just would like need to kind of spread out your mind and kind of connect with the larger web of the universe is you just kind of let your mind go. It's almost like one of those sea life plants that closes up and then when it's threatened and then just kind of spreads back open again. In my experience, our mind has been a little bit like that. And it's it's like relaxing a tensed muscle. These little tendrils of your energy can just kind of spread out. And you don't have to be searching for enlightenment or anything. Sometimes you can just do it if the day that you're living feels off to you or if it's just you've just been so stressed and so much is going on in your head. Like the other day I was alone at home and I was eating lunch. We had like curry chicken salad and I just randomly stopped, set down my fork, stopped eating and just sea anemone. (laughs) I just let those little tendrils go out. And my sister came down. I wasn't alone. She was up in her room. She came down and I was just sitting at the table in front of this thing of chicken salad, just with my eyes closed. And she's like, what are you doing? I was like, shush. (laughs) I'm sea anemone. I'm sea anemoneing. I love that. I'm going to use that now. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I'm glad. I am a kid. I'm a 14-year-old with an untethered brain. Imagination is a huge fuel for empathic power. And over the years of growing up, we've been told that it's just that. It's imagination. That is not in any way true. Your imagination is this little space someone has given you, or maybe not little. It can be as big as you want. It's your imagination. It's the space someone's given you where you can do anything, We've been told that it's this fake area that you go to for fun. Nothing's ever going to come out of it. That's not true. So long as you know that and you're able to keep that just somewhere in your head, then any empathic work that you do will be strong and powerful. If it wasn't super annoying because we have all these mics, I would clap right now. (laughs) Like you, (laughs) that, you know, standing ovation from here that's your quote was imagination is a huge fuel for empathic power there it is that's the quote of the episode so i always ask this question what's the weirdest paranormal supernatural woo experience you've ever had the most profound things was that reading with the the business owner that's what i can remember doing things with spirits channeling them, working with them. That's something that takes time. And I am by no means a master. I don't have many experiences because I haven't gotten there yet. I'm still learning. You never saw a ghost? You never had like a weird out-of-body experience or felt like maybe there was an alien in your vicinity? You know, I'm (laughs) I'm pushing it, but you know what I mean. Well, I mean, there's been... Things, I think I told you in the pre-meeting, I saw, we were in someone's house and I saw like this little black shape dart past in the corner of my eye and like too fast to be a human. And I ran past, sometimes I just think it's my hair getting in my face. So I like, I turned my head multiple times exactly the same way and my hair never like moved in that way twice. And I've had dreams months or years in advance of little things happening and then they do and then I've had dreams about realizing that I had a dream about this and that gets trippy <laughs> that's a little bit annoying like you have a premonition about a thing and then you almost then you have like another premonition about the premonition so the best example I had was a couple weeks before the incident I had a dream about walking to get a spoon <laughs> 
Okay. So it's not like I'm getting these like big things about a future car crash. It's like I could just be looking down at a little toy dragon and there's certain lighting or walking to get a spoon. So I was walking to a silverware drawer and in the dream I was walking, I realized that I had a dream about this moment and then I just kept going and that was it. And then when I actually lived the moment, I realized I had a dream about this moment and then I remembered remembering having a dream about this moment. So it was like a whole mirror effect. You were like, what is even going on right exactly. now? I was like, I just want to eat my lunch. I just want a spoon. <laughs> Why a spoon, too? How totally random. I know. I don't even remember if it was a spoon. I, I was going to the silverware drawer for some reason. So. so there's potentiality for some premonition for sure as you get older. That could get stronger, especially if you're still kicking it with Corby. Maybe you can see into the future for yourself as well. Definitely, yeah. So, Ula, my mind is blown. I am not even joking. I feel like I learned stuff from you and I was reminded about things and I'm much, much older than you. I am a firm believer that kids are smarter than adults. I really do think so to a certain extent. I know kids can be bozos too, but like we said before, but yeah, I just thank you so much for taking the time and telling your story and sharing your advice and your experiences. No problem. It was a huge honor to have someone who wanted to listen. So I greatly appreciated this. Girl, the honor was mine. Seriously. It was, <laughs> it was such a treat. And I think my listeners are going to love to hear the ideas and wisdom of a 14 year old. So, because it's real, not 14 year olds are, y'all are going to save the world. We're going to be dead. And you're going to be like, ah, oh, I got to clean this shit up that you guys <laughs> made a mess of the place. <laughs> I have to say, again, that I am generally supremely impressed by Generation Z, and Ula is just one more reason why I am. I will gladly move my millennial ass out of the way to allow the Gen Zs to lead. Ula is still learning, but gladly offers one-question readings free of charge. The best way to reach her is by DMing her on Instagram. You can also check out her family's farm, Sapbush Hollow, and their cafe, and even stay at their beautiful Airbnb. Ula's mom, Shannon Hayes, has a great podcast called The Hearth of Sapbush Hollow, and she just released a book called Redefining Rich, Achieving True Wealth with Small Business, Side Hustles, and Smart Living. Per usual, all of those links, including Ula's Instagram handle, will be in the show notes for this episode. And before I go, I've been hearing from a lot of people that there's some unusual exhaustion going around. That's certainly true for me. In fact, at this very moment, I feel like a full-on dumpster fire. Maybe more than one dumpster fire, to be completely honest with you. So if you're also feeling this exhaustion or you're feeling sick, no, you're not alone. There's lots of people going through this as well, and it sucks, but... You should know that all kinds of planets are in retrograde and Mercury is about to be in retrograde on, I think it's September 27th. So hold on to your butts for that one and just know that this is a weird energetic time and that could very well be tying into the reason why you feel exhausted or sick or both. And just know it's temporary and we're going to we're gonna get through this together. Blessed be my witches and my weirdos. I'm just a teenage empath, baby. Bye. Thank you for following The Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow The Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, 
tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 